Hey, everybody. It's Don and Catherine. Hi, it's Catherine. We sound great. You're used to fantastic sound quality. Rich, from this high quality. lustrous sound. <laughs> lustrous. We're and not... with our, our velvety, foggish voices. <laughs> no, it sounds more like a, a glossy shampoo commercial at this point. But yeah. anyway, what we're saying is you're used to great sound quality from this fine podcast. We had a little problem with my microphone in particular. And by uh, we, we mean Donald. Yeah, my microphone when we recorded this episode and uh, did not realize it until after it, we had finished the whole thing. Um it's not horrible, and I've done my best to fix it, but it is a little strange. Wanted to let you know that we know that it's a little strange. Luckily, uh, Catherine does most of the talking. I do, as par usual. And uh, she sounds fantastic, I do. as usual. And uh, most of our best episodes involve her doing most of the talking. Anyway. <laughs> I feel like, you know when you like give someone a gift, and you're like, it's kind of trash and garbage, right, and you're going right. to hate it, but here it is, and happy birthday. The episode itself, I'm very proud of, which is why we're putting the content it out there. is superlative. No, I genuinely is that the word? I genuinely it's think very good it, content. It's important, and uh, I'm I'm very happy with the episode itself. I uh, just wanted to let you know that uh, my microphone is not great. I sound a little bit like I'm inside of a tin can, but you know, it'll be fine. You'll love it. You'll love it. They're, the gift receipt is in the bag. All right. So, <laughs> without any further ado, here we go. <laughs> Welcome to an anatomically correct episode oh. of We Only Look Thin. I am your host, and we are recording this in uh, in rain-soaked Southern California. Oh. I am Donald Weigel, and I have lost a little over 100 pounds. And with me, as always, is... Catherine Weigel, your lovely, uh, pretty-faced wife oh, yeah. uh, who's lost about 150 pounds and is hustling every day to keep it off. Um, it is raining. This is big news in Southern every California. Day she's hustling. Uh, 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 uh. <laughs> That's good. Keep yeah, going. Yeah. I, could, I could watch you sing. I don't know any of the other words to that song. <laughs> okay. Uh, but yeah, no, it's raining in Los Angeles. That's a big... Big deal. It's actually uh, Oscar Sunday. It is Oscar Sunday as we record this, although, you know, you won't hear this for a couple of weeks after that. Um, I don't know if the microphones are picking it up, but it's actually raining pretty hard here. And we uh, we record this in our living room, not from a soundproof, soundproof booth. Uh, let's try to say that Easy 10 for times you fast. And uh, so if you can hear the rain outside, uh, sorry about that, but, uh, you know. It's not sound effect. This is au naturel. You get what you pay for on this podcast. <laughs> we need to stop saying that. We get kind of aggressive when we... Let me say, I don't know. Exactly. We're we're uh, we're talking about kind of a serious subject today, so we're just trying to start with the chuckles, just yeah. to ease you into it. Yeah. Uh, so uh, last episode we talked about uh, what to do when you get sick on your weight it's loss. It's going to happen. Fitness journey. It is going to sniffles, happen. sniffing, coughing, aching, stuffy head. I'm uh, trying to think of all yeah, the no, things that uh, happen with exactly, Benadryl that you need Nyquil for. Um, so if you haven't listened to that episode, first of all, you've really missed out on something <laughs> magical. And something all, magical. I don't so know that anyone pause that. this episode, go back, have a magical experience. I'm going to stick with magic. Oh, nice. Have a magical experience. By a rain free experience. It was sunny. Actually, we you could just listen to this one. It's a standalone. Yeah, it's fine. We're, we're tying it into the last one. Uh, 
we were going to call it Grey's Anatomy 2, uh, further, you know, driving the joke into the ground of a TV show we've never We've watched. never seen it. Yeah. I yet. haven't watched a medical series since Marcus Wel- Welby, MD. <laughs> Wow, I'm not even sure our listeners Quincy, are old enough to both remember both Medicine Marcus Woman Welby. and Quincy Quincy, yeah, the dude. Yeah. Uh, you admitted last episode that you watched ER. I so, did. So you have watched a more recent I did, but, but still, that's like 25 not, years old. Not Grey's Anatomy, but there's yeah. a Z in there. It's funny, and so we did it. But uh, anyway, uh, we're, we're going to uh, take a different uh, tact on... Uh, making yourself sick with food this time. What? Yeah. Uh, yeah. People do that, um, and uh, we have done that, and we used to do it for uh, literally decades. We did it. Yeah. Um, so we're going to skip the towel and the pal this week. We're not even going to do the towel sound or the pal sound. Don't do it, Donald. I really don't. Do <laughs> okay. Towel. Towel, everybody. See? <laughs> it's super fun to and say. Let's it. get into pal. Pal. Product of the week to you. Product of the week to you. Uh, yeah, but we're not actually. We're not peddling it. products today. We're peddling knowledge. Uh, and so we're going to get down to it. It's a, it's a serious subject. Uh, which, you know, it's hard to like start out with the zany slide whistles uh, when when talking about eating disorders. Yeah, but we're, we're going to get into uh, to binge eating a bit. And I wanted to start out by saying that binge eating is a really serious, you know, it is a disorder. And Catherine and I have gotten our binge eating under control without professional help. But um, it is highly possible and even likely that you will need professional help to get over it. Like if, especially if you have a, a serious issue with it. Um, and I, you know, not that our issue wasn't serious, but we still had to turn to outside help, um, you know, by podcasts and reading books and, and that sort of thing to, to get it together. So, you know, we wanted to, preface this, or at least I wanted to preface this by saying, you know, you may need professional help to get over this, but we're going to talk about it a bit and give you our insights on it and talk about some things that have worked for us. Yeah. And I think in any episode that we do, all of it is about self-understanding and so much of, or so many of our issues, I should say over the years, I thought I just needed to lose weight. Yeah. And it turns out mindset was everything. And I thought, you know, the the 20 times before that I tried to lose weight, I just focused on the end number goal and didn't deal with any of my emotional issues. And it showed. It yeah. showed to the <laughs> tune of 150 pounds more than I weigh now. Yeah. And, and I think that there is a real problem. We talked about it recently with The Biggest Loser. But, um, I, you know, my personal opinion having gone through this over and over and over again and then, you know, hopefully successfully having – lost and I will keep off this hundred pounds for the rest of my life. There's a real problem with people who just, they just want, I want you to tell me what to eat yeah, and, and I want you to tell me how to exercise and they don't deal with what was really causing them to overeat and under-exercise in the first place. And, you know, I, I don't know what the exact formula formula is, but it is it is like 60 to 70% mental, you know, yeah. and, and dealing with the mental issues, dealing with the stress, dealing with, you know, all of the things that were causing me 
to overeat in the first place. That was really the key for me. Well, and I never thought it was. I just wanted the elixir. I just wanted the fix. And yeah. I I remember even when I was working out with a trainer, he wanted me to keep a gratitude journal. And I was like, gratitude, gratitude. I'm, I don't need to be grateful for nothing. <laughs> I can't even. If I had I am, a nickel for every time she said gratitude, gratitude. I imagined myself just then as Yosemite Sam, like shooting the ground of the saloon, like, I'll get you, tar nation and all that stuff um i didn't the greatest characters in american literature (laughs) beloved really (laughs) um but i didn't want to i didn't think my emotional status mattered i felt and i i thought it was a belief that i was put upon overworked underpaid underappreciated and i felt like it was a um, just a fact. It wasn't an opinion. It was just something that I had to deal with. Yeah. And that food was its own problem. And I had my first binge when I was four or five. Yeah. Um, let me start by saying, and, and we just want to make this very clear, food tastes really good to us. Oh, yeah. Like, ever since I was a kid, food tasted really good. And that's why I had my first binge. And I'm not saying that every reason to eat is about a problem. Yeah. Because I like the taste of food. I yeah. like like that Thanksgiving feeling. Of- and I was a kid, you know, my mother may have a different story, but as far as I remember, you know, I would eat anything and everything up to, but not including boiled spinach. Like that was like the well, one. Well, and you would like eat off of other people's plates oh, and you'd be like, goodness, you wanted yeah. to be, I remember when we were growing up because we have known each other since we were very young uh you being like if i could only be in a food eating contest like if only i i wanted to be you know two things i wanted to be a judge in a a like you know some sort of cook-off like a barbecue sauce cook-off or a chili cook-off a pie i'm just gonna do you cook off cook-offs no it's a bake-off okay yeah bake-offs cook-offs i wanted to be a judge in one of those so bad and then also I, I've never been a super fast eater, but I wanted there to be some (laughs) contest for volume, you know, like I wanted to like, you know, whoever can eat the most hot dogs in like a day, I feel like I could destroy a contest like that. Yeah. (laughs) But you know, anyway, uh, I now realize those were really unhealthy dreams, but I, I like as a little kid, I wanted to do those things. Yeah. And there are people out there who, uh, you know, we've talked about before who just are like, yeah. I had half a bagel. That was fine. I had yeah. half a, a scone. There's not half of I don't anything. Know how anybody could even finish that meal. Oh, yeah. it's just so much food. Yeah, no, that, I've never said that. That's never life. been us. Yeah. So I don't know which came first: the eating disorder or the social boundary disorder that yeah. I had. I think. Just like with weight loss, they go in tandem, fixing both at the same time (laughs) and curing them both at the same time. But um, this is sort of – and we'll get into the actual point of it because why not? Why not? (laughs) Uh, I made the Marcus Welby joke. Done. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, The only weight loss podcast that references Marcus Welby. So (laughs) – a while back, and I, I could pretend I remember the exact day, but a while back I had a binge, and it was a great amount of food, um, ended up with acid reflux all night, couldn't sleep, woke up the next day kind of feeling like I had a hangover, and I don't really drink alcohol much anymore, but I felt sluggish, I felt tired, yeah. I felt foggy, and it 
what I did yesterday or that day affected my next day. And it was almost like, I mean, I work from home, so there's no calling out sick because I'm already home. But if it makes me skip my workout in the morning, it makes me want to, you know, I, I think they say like the hangover thing is like, you know, have some French fries in the morning or something like that. You want yeah. to perpetuate, you know, or or make your... Have a little bit of the hair of the dog. Hair of the dog, you. exactly. Yeah. So I feel hungover from my food choices. I feel acid reflux. I feel tired. And it occurred to me that I was making myself sick yeah. from eating. And when you're at a point where you're not sure if you're actually sick with the flu yeah. or if you're sick from eating – that is a dangerous position to be in. Yeah, it's a heck of a revelation. And, you know, I think that Catherine telling me that was it made me look at myself in the mirror and realize I've been doing the same thing for most of my life. You well, know, in childhood, I was I don't know what hole I was trying to fill, but my I don't know if I've ever even told anyone other than Catherine this because it's it's pretty embarrassing. But I, my parents would buy these large, uh, like bricks of sliced American cheese. And I would, you know, at night I would, you know, after people were in bed, I would go into the kitchen, pull out this sliced brick of cheese, and I would just keep eating bricks of cheese. And I would put like barbecue sauce on it or like, he's just naming sauces. Yeah. You're mustard. They're like (laughs) sauces on them and just eat a plain piece of cheese, not like on bread or anything, but just eat and eat and eat these large bricks of cheese until I like absolutely could not eat anymore. And, you know, it was like trying to fill some emotional hole that I had. Well, and for me, there's, there's the, and this is a big complicated issue. We're not going to cover everything that has to do with binge eating on this episode. Our focus is going to be on the illness that we bring upon ourselves for the way we eat and how we perpetuate that. Um, I, like I said, had a, a binge issue recently. I have struggled with bulimia. Uh, I am not cured. I am recovering. Yeah. Um, but there are times I don't even know if I told you this done, so I'll lob it back <laughs> at you. But uh, We're telling and, each other deep, dark secrets on a recorded on, podcast. For everyone to yeah. hear. But I don't know if you know this about bulimia. It's not as super fun as everybody makes it out to be. Man, not like Hollywood your Sweet it. Valley High. There's all the shows all just those, made it look great. All those songs about it that have really made me want to Very get into it. Yeah. special episode. Uh, when you are bulimic and you you make yourself purge, you can get a really bad sore throat. Yeah, and you can have kind of a contagious cough that doesn't go away. Yeah, and in a in an episode of of binge eating and purging, I ended up with a sore throat. I don't even know if I told you this. Yeah. I, I don't think I had. But I couldn't tell if I was sick yeah. or if I had made myself sick from throwing up, and. When it gets to the point that you're calling out of work because you have a sore throat that may or may not be connected to making yourself vomit, like it kind of gets into an area where you realize you have a real problem, that it's impacting your social life, your emotional life. And we were talking about this in Walt Place recently. W-O-L-T Place. Um, (laughs) (laughs) W-O-L-T. I never get tired of that. Um, But yeah, we only look thin place, which is our, uh, our online support group. 
So um, someone was having an issue with binge eating, and I, you know, still have issues from time to time. And I intimated, I think that's the word, that sometimes we make ourselves sick to incapacitate ourselves. Yeah. When we are overwhelmed, when we don't know how to deal with our emotions, food is an immediate escape that brings with it euphoria, but then also chilling lows. And someone in what place likened it to the disorder of cutting one's self. And I hadn't ever thought about that before. Um, But the idea of practicing self-harm as a way to avoid one's emotions really resonated with me. And Donald did uh, some research online. Yeah, I did a little research about self-harm and and overeating as self-harm. And maybe we should say, if there are children present, you might want to... I don't know. Maybe at this point of the show, you've already sent them to go clean their room or something. But <laughs> but we're we're talking about some self harm here. So yeah, not just, that we're going to get graphic no. about it. But um, and so the National Alliance on Mental Health says self harm is typically best understood as an unhealthy coping mechanism for emotional suffering. Why you got to at me, bro? <laughs> <laughs> Often, people self-harm to release intense feelings they don't have the tools to express in any other way. And then another thing I found was the National Library of Medicine said, other possible reasons for self-harm include trying to break through emotional numbness, avoiding distressing memories, signaling a need for help, punishing themselves, or needing to exert a sense of control. Why do you got to at me, bro? (laughs) And and I have never cut myself, but I was startled at how much that felt like what I do with food. Yeah, totally. And I feel like there must be a link for, you know, what I do with food, the overeating, the eating to soothe myself, you know, that must come from a very similar place as people who, you know, self-harm. Well, and when I was in high school, which, um, like I said, the person in in the group who talked about uh, self-harm and cutting, when I was in high school, my best friend was, was cutting herself. And it was something I didn't have the tools to help her with. Yeah. I also didn't have the interest in doing it myself, but I didn't know who to turn to to get her help. And I, I didn't identify with her on it. I was like, why would you do that? Like, but I realized that at the very same time, I had a bulimic disorder. Yeah. And I never saw that as self-harm. I just thought of it as weight maintenance. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, but, you know, having this come full circle and having Donald read those uh, very confrontational uh, <laughs> descriptions of self-harm, it was, it all came rushing back to me. Like, oh yeah, my parents were getting a divorce and we had a really hard financial time and I was being moved from one state to another and deciding which parent to live with. And like, yeah, duh, like, okay, I didn't cut myself, which is its own, you know, burden, but I was eating and binging and purging and like, and certainly physically harming yourself, uh, you know, by the way you were eating and not exercising. But as you said, and I don't have your sheet in front of me, it was a form of control. 
Like when we eat, we have control. And there's so much in our lives that we can't control or we feel might be out of control that food is something we can rely on. Like it is something predictable. one One thing that we can generally control completely is what we put in our mouths and, you know, that being the food that we eat. And, you know, if if everything else is out of control, we can still do that. Well, and even I, th- I think we've mentioned this on another topic, like what is more controlling than what we eat? There are people who go on food strikes to make points about yeah. political dissent. Like, you know, our daughter and even our her therapist actually said that her f- choice in food was a way that she could exact some control over her life because we tell her when to get up, when to go to bed, when to do homework, when to whatever. Yeah. And her deciding that she suddenly hated salmon after loving salmon for two years was a way for her to exact some control over her life. You know, I used to even make a, which in hindsight was a poor, uh, poor tasteless joke about how if I went on a hunger strike, nobody would do anything about it because they would just say I need oh. to pounds. <laughs> <laughs> Must be nice to be on a hunger strike. Yeah, but, exactly. But even, you know, people who are anorexic or whatever, like we're trying to control something in our lives. And, and anorexia is something that we're not going to go into on this episode. But these are we joke about it, but it's all serious ways of dealing with some some real issues in our lives and some things that we don't have the vocabulary to deal with. I didn't realize my, I knew my friend didn't have the resources to figure out how to deal with her life. Yeah. I didn't know how to help her. And so I felt powerless and I was just kind of in my own lane, you know, binging and purging, but I never saw the correlation. And what we're hoping to do in this episode, aside from being a total bummer, is <laughs> is to give you some resources and some perspective on what your binge eating disorder might mean. And we, again, as Donald said, we are not professionals at anything, really. Um, <laughs> We're professionals at our paying jobs. Yes, but. no, we are. We are paid professionals, but not in this in this field. But you know, if you have a serious issue, please get help beyond this podcast. Hopefully, this is a catalyst to help give you some perspective. Um, but it is, uh, you know, it's a big issue, and we're not we're not going to be able to cover everything. We're going to cover some stuff. So, um, and I I wanted to start with the notion of being real with myself. And one of the things that um, I realized is, and this was, this is sort of through the whole process of losing a hundred pounds is that I really love food and I really love indulging in it. And that's not the revelation, but the revelation was that I used to use stress and bad things happening to me or bad things happening in my life it could be trivial things it could be serious things but i would use them as an excuse to eat a lot of food telling myself that i deserved it telling myself that you know this was something that i um that i well deserved uh to say it again and what i actually deserved was to take care of myself but I would invite drama and I didn't even realize I was doing it because drama in my life equaled food. And so there was a part of me that craved it just like I craved the food itself. Well, and I think that there are, I mean, we we see it in movies like relationships that are really volatile and, you know, like 
I mean, not to get indelicate, but like makeup sex, like, oh, you're in a big fight and it's, right. you know, hot and steamy. Or we were watching The Queen, uh, oh, yeah. in which uh, her, The Queen The Crown. Sister, the the crown. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll say, yeah. I'll start the, over. The Queen is a movie with Helen oh. Mirren. All right, whatever. Queens, crowns. Um, but we were watching The Crown and, you know, some people need a lot of drama to feel emotions in their lives. Yeah. And oftentimes we feel like we don't have a choice in the dramas that we engage in, whether it's being a voyeuristic on Facebook and watching, you know, drama unfold with trolls or getting involved with other people's drama at work or creating a problem that isn't really there and assuming that someone's out to get you. People who just seek drama, who are just like, they live to be outraged at things. And, and, you know, I think a part of me was like that, but in a, in a different way, you know, I was, I was craving the drama just so that I had an excuse. I had a, a you know, an, a loophole to eat a lot of food. Right. And you kind of came up with sort of the, the circle or the, the loop cycle of... Uh... Well, yeah, I'm sure I didn't invent it. But um, when we were talking about this episode, you know, eating food makes me feel better. It is almost instantly soothing. You know, I put something delicious in my mouth and it's like... I. I don't know the science behind it, but, you know, I assume there are some sort of pleasure endorphins that get released. Right. Well, and it's we were talking about it, too, like when there's a, a dog that wears a thunder shirt uh, because it's scared of thunder and lightning and yeah, sirens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a thunder shirt, but in your mouth. You get to eat the thunder shirt. No, but there's like weighted blankets. There's thunder ways. Thunder shirt in the mouth. <laughs> I think that sounds like a terrible disease. Yeah. It's like the coronavirus. It's the, yeah, it's the name of my memoir, actually. Yeah. Thunder shirt of the mouth. Um, but you know, I would do that and eating the food would make me feel better and I would feel better while I was eating it. But then as, you know, as I got more and more full, I would feel more and more guilt and shame about it. And, and when it was over, I would feel that guilt and shame come crashing down on me because of how overweight I was. Which then perpetuates the, I'm a victim, my life sucks, everything's terrible, I can't get a promotion, I bet it's because of my weight. And then you feel shame, and then you eat more, and then you feel terrible yeah. again. And it's just a cycle that repeats itself. Yeah. And it's I was- It's like that snake eating its own tail you know, image where it just keeps going and going and going. Well, and I did that for decades, just thinking that I was a victim of circumstance and And it didn't occur to me that there was a way to break that cycle. I didn't connect food with my disposition. I just thought thin people just are thin. And once I get to a weight, I'll be the thin person. And then a, a, you know, a flip will switch or slip will flip. A flip will switch. A switch will will flip. (laughs) A switch will flip. I'll start over again. A switch will flip. And then suddenly I'll be a thin person. And I still see people who say that once I hit my goal weight, then I won't have to worry about eating anymore. Yeah, and Catherine and I have said this many times. Like, we have hit our goal weights, but we are not fixed. Nope, like, sorry. this isn't over. This is a constant, constant work in progress. And I am always refining and learning and having to stay on top of myself and remind myself that I'm not actually a thin person. I just play one on a podcast. <laughs> On Marcus Welby, MD. Marcus, I was but, a guest star as a thin guy on Marcus Welby. I'm not a doctor, but I play one on television. Exactly. I'm not a television, but I play one on doctors. Um, I don't <laughs> whoa, know. <laughs> whoa, that just blew my mind. Um, but I, you know, we we've been talking about this sort of like immediate self harm of the food hangover. I have told this story before, but I was at such a low place in my life and felt like 
there was nothing I could do about it, you know, do about my health and fitness five years ago that I just decided to, in air quotes, give up. And I had just decided I was going to get as heavy as I got and I was going to eat whatever I wanted. I wasn't going to exercise and I was going to, again, in air quotes, enjoy my life. And what it got me was gaining so much weight that I ended up with type 2 diabetes. Yeah. And it all came crashing down. So I was literally harming myself with food to the point where I got a disease from it. Well, and but a precursor to that, or, you know, even to finding out about the diabetes was that we were newer parents and you would disappear for hours and just go sleep. Yeah. In the middle of the afternoon on a Saturday. True. And true story, everybody. It felt like a circumstance, not a choice. Like, okay, I guess we're just old now and Donald sleeps and that's what happens and i can't i don't know i can't really even imagine it now because our lives are so much different but the amount of time we spent recovering from food hangovers for decades yeah being like oh i don't have time to work out oh i don't have time to oh i don't want to like because we were just tired from overindulging yeah but one thing that I, you know, as, as we talk about self-harm, not having a vocabulary for a problem, not feeling like you have the resources to correct, it is a cry for help somehow. Yeah. And I believe that it is a physical sign that there is something that we are not dealing with. Aside from the fact that food is delicious, which I think we can all agree <laughs> with, that making yourself sick from eating is your way of saying I'm hurting and I don't know what to do about it. And so I'm going to eat about it. There are memes like it turns out 27 Girl Scout cookies will not solve my problem. I tried and it didn't. And so I'll try for more and see what happens. Like eating about it is not addressing your boundary issues. Yeah. And and those were funny to a certain extent. And now I I really sort of cringe when I see those kinds of things uh, because I know that it's a joke, but I also know that there's there's a harsh, hard truth behind right. it. That I'm I, at would, my... I would mask with those kind of jokes in the past. Yeah. And one of my favorite quotes is, I'm at my, my most serious when I'm joking because yeah, it's exactly. easier to laugh something off. But if we go back to you know, and this happened actually in Walt Place. Um, we did a Facebook Live and someone was talking about their inner toddler and how to quiet their inner toddler and their impatience and their, you know, uh, impulsiveness. Yeah. And if you think about toddlers, um, many of us have been toddlers uh, in our lives. Um, yeah. <laughs> Don was like, what is she talking about? I would say most, if you were a toddler, let us know. Most women and children today, and and men even, have many been our forefathers. Most in, of the men I know are still toddlers. Hey, am I right, ladies? Yeah, our uh, our forefathers in the days of yore, let's yeah. say. Um, but toddlers do not have a vocabulary for their upset. If a toddler is crying, it's because they don't have the words to describe what they're feeling. Yeah. They're hungry, they're tired, they're overwhelmed, they're, you know, whatever toddlers do. I don't know. If you're a toddler, let us know. Um, <laughs> and, and parents have to guess, like, what what do they need? Are they hungry? Do they need a diaper change? Are they just sleepy? Like, 
you know, there could be a lot of things. And we as adults have to guess what our inner toddler needs. Well, because a lot of times we're so disconnected from our immediate needs that we don't even know what's wrong. Yeah. And I think that that was my problem for decades is I'm eating, I'm angry, I'm overwhelmed and not really knowing what to do with that anger. And yeah. so we took it out on food. And we have all seen toddlers at the grocery store who are having, you know, a, you know, a meltdown. And the parent wants it to end because it's embarrassing. Yeah. You feel judged, whatever. And that is one kind of toddler episode. And giving in to a treat or a a He-Man figure, which would have been my brother's yeah. um, method of choice. Um, it perpetuates... Or like when I go to the grocery store and I want a Starbucks really bad. And <laughs> he I, always wants a Starbucks I really yell bad. and scream until Catherine lets me get one. But part of the job of being a guardian of someone, whether you're caring for an elderly relative, whether you're caring for a dog or a child is knowing and predicting what is going to lead the toddler down the road to the, the uh, you know, the tantrum. Yeah. Or knowing that your dog needs to be on a schedule of being taken out to go to the restroom because if it doesn't, it's going to rip up the carpet. If it doesn't, it's going to have an accident. Yeah. We know that dogs and toddlers need patterns of behavior that are predictable. We know that we can't take a toddler to a movie at 10 o'clock at night. Yeah. because it's free yeah that's a bad like, idea we when we first became parents we uh we tried to do too much in one day oh my gosh and, and you know message so, received yeah, it was it realized very quickly never to do that again and uh we didn't even have a toddler we just had a yeah we had a, a tween or yeah, whatever exactly but you start to understand the patterns, those gremlin-like, and we did a gremlin, two gremlin episodes of like, you don't take a toddler to a 10 o'clock screening of Friday the 13th. Right. Gonna be bad. You don't skip feeding. You don't skip the diaper. And we don't think of ourselves as having base needs that are worthy of being fought for. We think you know what, I'm just going to drink coffee and figure it out. I'm going to volunteer. I'm going to be yeah. the woman who does it all. I'm going to do all the laundry. Everything's on me. The more you put on yourself and the less you listen to those base needs, the less you follow that Maslow's hierarchy of needs, the more likely you are to turn to that binge behavior because you don't have the vocabulary. I didn't have the vocabulary four yeah. years ago to realize I had boundary issues. I had no idea I had boundary issues. I just thought everybody else was a jerk and I had to do it all. Like, yeah. I didn't realize that it was my job to figure out what my boundaries were, what I was comfortable with, what it I was not comfortable with. It turns out that everybody else is a jerk. <laughs> but, oh, they're still jerks. Oh, they're still 100% jerks. But you don't have to do it all. You can you can <clears throat> also be a jerk and try to make them do some stuff. No, but so toddlers act out physically. Thank you. Um, I just like how you just completely moved on to try and stop me from keep from talking. Uh, but toddlers act out physically because they don't know what else to do. We act out with food because it's all we know how to do and all we know how to control. If you are acting out using food, it means that something is out of balance with work, with your hormones, with feeling helpless, uncertain, with boundaries, with finances. If you're unclear where to turn, you feel like you don't have external resources. Yeah. And I think the biggest thing is many of us don't feel worthy of taking up space and speaking our needs. Yeah. Like 
That is huge when you feel like every, and I did this for years. Oh, they've got it really bad. I don't want to burden them. Oh, well, they're dealing with this. I don't, it's not a good time. And something happened to us recently and I told, or something happened and I told Donald and I said, you know what? Usually in the past I'd wait a week to tell you what happened because I didn't want to burden you. But like you tell me you want to know things. So I'm telling you and it sucks. It sucks to share bad news, but it felt so much better than just holding it inside and feeling you know, alone in a problem. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, just asking for what you actually want and need can be really liberating. And um, I think the bottom line here is uh, not to derail what Catherine was saying, but I think that realizing that I was turning for to food as a solution rather than actually addressing the actual problem was what was really going on with me. Yeah, there's there's a quote floating around the interweb of like, if hunger isn't the problem, food isn't the answer. Yeah, yeah. And we're definitely not saying like food is pleasurable, food is social, it's not, you know, utilitarian and like food capsules and you're done. Like, it's a complicated issue. But food never, you know, eating a lot of food, eating a lot of food I shouldn't have been eating, that never solved a problem for me at work. No, and it never solved a problem for me with the family. Like, it just made things worse. Well, and here's, I mean, to go back to kind of the beginning point, there have definitely been times even still after losing all the weight where I have eaten so much that I incapacitate myself. Yeah. If I am super stressed out about 50 things and I eat so much that I can't get off the couch, I no longer have the choice of dealing with a work problem. I don't have, you know, I I can't call the principal back. I can't deal with finances. I can't deal with whatever because I've literally incapacitated myself. And that is a big danger sign that your your life is not in control or you're not dealing with issues. So I wanted to talk about kind of some things now that now that you know you're a toddler, <laughs> what to do when you're a toddler um, is to really think about do you have the vocabulary to deal with your emotions? Yeah. It took me a long time of listening to a lot of podcasts to figure out that I had boundary issues, to figure out that I wasn't speaking up for even small needs. Like, oh, they put, you know, they gave me a decaf instead of a caffeinated coffee at Starbucks. Like, I'm not going to say anything. I don't want to get in the way. I don't want to start a thing. Like, I was so meek that I couldn't even do that. And I remember the first time I actually, like, they gave me the wrong order and I stood up for myself. I was like, I've got boundaries everybody like <laughs> starting small matters yeah. but so in in terms of your whole view uh dear listener are you asking too much of yourself in this season of your life are you over volunteered are you overextended are you taking on additional tasks are you avoiding a problem in your life by taking on something else yeah let's you know remodel the kitchen. I know I'm going to get an, you know, a degree in astrophysics now while I'm also time, fostering yeah. 10 dogs and I've always wanted to be an astronaut and this is the time This is for the it. time. But taking on more to avoid your current problems. Yeah. Like it it happens. We want to take on something to distract us from what is actually well, wrong. And it can also be another excuse to not deal with your totally. weight losses, you know, and to another more excuses to eat because you've given yourself even less time to properly, you know, take care of yourself. Right. So what pain points in your life are you ignoring? What 
Are you having issues with relationships, finances, the fear of your future, uncertainty, self-confidence, um, illnesses that you're managing with your family? Yeah. All of these things and feeling helpless in them perpetuate eating disorders. Going back to the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, your base needs need to be met before you can start going on to the more existential ones focusing on, and and this is a bigger topic, focusing on losing weight if you're binging every other night. Yeah. Those are contrary goals. Figuring out the binging first yeah. before you start under eating. Like when you overeat, punishing yourself by under eating after that is a scary cycle. And we're, we're not going to get super duper into, into that part of it. But just realizing that your binging is its own issue and it stems from issues in your emotional environment. Uh, I think I think that that's a really big thing. For sure. So looking at the cycle that you've perpetuated, deciding what parts of your life are extra accessories that you don't need to involve yourself with. If the news is stress stressing you out, if Facebook is stressing you out, if things outside of your control, we did that, that circle of what's within my control, what's out of my control. Yeah. Making our lives smaller, not worrying about extended family issues, not worrying about things in the news, and focusing on what we can control under our roof has really made a difference. Because I used to insert myself as the family fixer in so many things. Oh my goodness, yes. And my sister, actually, because she's a jerk, um, <laughs> I, I mentioned something about a family issue, and she was like, you know they're grown-ups, right, who can, like, yeah. manage their lives. I felt very personally attacked yeah. by that. No, that was she definitely an attack. She had boundaries, <laughs> but it it seemed like it wasn't optional. And she's like, oh, it's totally optional to get involved in that. And yeah. it uh, was kind of confronting. Um, so and it's also liberating though when you when you accept the truth. Yeah, of that. what is and, it? Not my circus, not my monkeys. Another yeah, great episode of We Only Look Thin. Exactly. So, um, Realize that you are not helpless in your binge disorder, in making yourself sick. It is a choice. It is a band-aid on a bigger problem. And once you get to the point where you're ready to name your issues, name the problems, I have a problem with boundaries at work. Yeah. I have a problem with inserting myself into all of my family problems. And there are real problems to deal with in life, like – you know, we we manage our own issues, but they're they're within our circle of control, not outside. You know, like it's really important to decide what you're going to focus on because you can't do it all. And I honestly, I believe that this particular thing that we are talking about right now was the number one. If if there number was, one, you know, there were sorry, many, I did a Casey. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> number one. There were many, many things that led to me losing the 100 pounds. But if I was going to point to one sort of the key thing, the keystone idea was really getting honest with myself about what was making me overeat and, you know, using my problems as an excuse to overeat and really becoming honest with myself about your problem is what's making you want to overeat. It's not actually that problem. You just think it's that problem. You're using that as an excuse to to soothe yourself with food. And that was really the the key, realizing that. Yeah, I think this whole uh, journey venture for the last four years is about knowing myself better, 
exploring, I mean, you know, I think self-help books got a really bad rap in the 80s and 90s. It was like men are from Mars, women are from Venus or whatever. Yeah. I feel like it it seemed almost pathetic to have to have a bookshelf full of self-help books. Yeah. But self-understanding, self-helpfulness, knowing whether you are an abstainer from certain foods or a moderator, knowing your four tendencies, knowing my love language, all of that, it all happened at the same time as I was losing weight this time. It's not that I read all those books and got all the knowledge and then decided to lose weight. I started counting calories and tracking, which is a hard, you know, it is an action I can take. And then I started listening to weight loss podcasts and listening, you know, and reading books and doing more self-exploration and starting small with returning a Starbucks order and then moving on to asking for a bigger ask from a family member that I was afraid to, that I like panicked about for a week and being in my mid forties and finally taking control of my choices and not being a victim, which isn't to say that everything is perfect now, but I'm in a growth mindset where I can self-reflect and go, what am I not dealing with right now? What am I choosing to avoid? What battle am I ready to fight right now? What We had something happen yesterday that kind of blew up. And I knew about myself, I need time to process this. Like, I need time to step back and decide how I'm going to respond. Because you don't have to enter every fight that you're brought into. Yeah. And I think if you've been listening to this show for a while now, you know that uh, we believe you can apply the same process to any problem or situation uh, of this nature, which is to take baby steps. Do what you can right now. Um, but do something and just keep stepping, make taking tiny steps forward until you reach your ultimate goal. And and that has to do with, you know, when with calorie counting, you know, we started high and slowly stepped back with getting more exercise. We started small and slowly kept adding. And it's the same thing with boundaries and with um, inserting yourself and with dealing with your problems that are the real reason that you're overeating, um, you know, or the problems that you're using as an excuse to overeat and to not exercise, dealing with those things in small baby steps one at a time. For sure. So figure out what part of your life you're ready to tackle because we can't give 100% to every single aspect of our life. Deciding on the you know, top one or two things that are real big issues for you right now. If you have a family member that you feel like you're stepped on every time, dealing with that, starting to build boundaries there. If you feel like your work is stressful, what can you do to offset that? How can you refocus your energies? It's not a simple, you know, like I feel like some podcasts are just like, you just tell everybody what you think and you, you know, darn them if they don't, whatever. And it's very complicated. Like relationships matter and your workplace matters and you can't, you know, take this job and shove it. Like, you know, you've got to work within your parameters, but deciding what you're ready to do, what sort of support you can get, who you can reach out to to tell people about your shame or your disorder or, you know, like it's not about having going to someone who has an answer for you, but being able to turn to someone and say, I'm really hurting right now. Like I'm I really am not sure what to do. Starting in a place where you can be honest about what you're feeling and 
decide what you're ready to do next in those baby steps, like Donald said. Be self-aware, be reflective, giving yourself the time and the space to really understand yourself. Because I, you know, I've, I've said it before, I've been in situations where I get overwhelmed and flustered and angry and it takes me yeah. f- it takes me five days to go i've never been overwhelmed <laughs> flustered or angry i don't know what that's like but um if you don't know what it is you're probably <laughs> in it right now but i am the kind of person who needs to think for four or five days about what i really feel well, and how it, i want to even when people propose something fun i'm yeah. like that. <laughs> I, I mean i really like if if it's you know, if it's unexpected, I need time to process everything for whatever reason. And, you know, you spring something fun on me. I need a minute to get used to the idea before I can say yes to yeah, it. Yeah, it can be good things, too. Like, there there are many forms of stress and change is hard. And I know for us, like, we're creatures of habit, too. And in the end, all of this is about better knowing yourself and taking responsibility because I spent so many years not telling people what I really thought, not telling people what I actually needed, saying yes when I definitely meant no, and then revenge ate to make up for saying yes when yeah. I meant no, like yeah. people would and, know and it. actually, you know, self-harming yourself. Totally, <laughs> totally. In and, the process. And I, it is such a, there's such a, a taboo around mental health and obesity. Yeah, thankfully, I think that that taboo is is getting smaller and smaller, but the, you know, it still exists. But there is so much of a cry for help in all of this that we are still processing ourselves. And if you can take one step today toward better self knowledge, toward realizing that you have a disordered codependent relationship with someone that you rely on you know, someone else for your happiness instead of your internal, like, I mean, listen to the hundred shows of We Only Look Thin to find out all about our disorders, but work on yourself because no one is going to fly in, you know, on a magic carpet or, you know, in their invisible jet to come and save you from yourself. Or on a magic invisible jet baby carpet. (laughs) (laughs) That's not a thing. Um, What did Johnny Quest, was he in a plane or was he in a boat? I never watched Johnny Quest. Oh, you didn't? Okay, I was a big Hanna-Barbera That's one of the nerd things I don't know anything about. All right. Um, But we have to extend a life vest or a a life raft to ourselves because we can self-harm to the point where we're incapacitated where we get diabetes and we don't have a choice but to start dealing with ourselves, we can keep eating about things until we're literally not able to walk or care for ourselves, which was the path that Don and I were on. Oh, yeah. Or you can get sick and tired of being sick and tired and start advocating for yourself because I am going to tell you that it feels way better to be the me of now at this weight, even with all the challenges, than it is the me of four years ago who was a victim in everything. Yeah, being a person who I literally on Friday got excited because there was a giant flight of stairs I could take instead of an escalator. And like five years ago, that just that never would have happened. Well, and we have an issue right now with uh, our our uh, hot water heater and someone was complaining about it one of our neighbors and donald was like you know what it's gonna be fine we'll figure it out like this is fun times 
And I was like, it's a good excuse not to have to take a shower. (laughs) And five five years ago, he would have been like, let's burn it to the ground. So just those small mindset things. It is possible for change. It doesn't mean that we're, you know, Pollyannas who just think that everything is happy. But our growth mindset and our positivity is so much stronger now. And we still have setbacks. I still have binge episodes. I still have times when I feel out of control. But it's such a smaller portion than it was four years ago when I felt like I was, you know, just falling apart. And And really, you know, if we can do it, you can too. Uh, I mean, you know, nobody was more, nobody was busier and more put upon than us. Nobody was, you know, more involved in eating ourselves to death than the two of us. And, you know, I thought it wasn't possible to make a change after 40 years old. And here I am at 50 now, you know, two years away from losing a hundred pounds. And, uh, if, if we can do it, I am confident that you can too. You can too. So, uh, thank you so much for listening today. I know today was kind of a heavier episode, but it's something that we feel really passionate about. And for all the jokes aside, your mental health and your physical health are so important, not only to you, but to everyone around you too, because the better you are able at caring for yourself, the better you can be there for other people. Um, so, uh, so if you'd like to be there for us, you can uh, yeah, go to nice Apple, segue. Apple Podcast and leave us a lovely review and rating. Yeah, um, it really means a lot to us uh, to to get the ratings and reviews, and um, it really helps out the show. It helps people find the show when they're searching for uh, shows about weight loss and fitness. The more uh, more reviews and the more um, ratings we have, the easier it is for people to find us. Uh, so if you go to Apple Podcasts and do that, we would really appreciate it. Yeah, um, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter at We Only Look Thin. And if you have questions for us uh, or suggestions for the show, uh, you can write to us at weonlylookthin at gmail.com. Yeah. Uh, you can also find out more about our women's only weight loss support group called Walt Place, W-O-L-T Place, by going to our website, weonlylookthin.com, and click on the link for joining our support group. Uh, you can find out pricing information there. We have some complimentary days, depending on how many, yeah. uh, how much time you sign up for, so you can see if it's the right place for you. Yeah, you can sign up, try it out, and uh, you've got nothing to lose. Yeah. Except the weight. I think I stole that from uh, (laughs) some other Weight Watchers or something. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah. So, thanks so much for listening today. So, if you're still wondering why Donald and Catherine keep referencing TV shows they've never seen, just remember (laughs) that Donald and Catherine are still an inspiration. Asian. Asian. The information that you hear on this podcast is for informational purposes only. The hosts are not medical professionals. You should always consult with your doctor, nurse, or other certified health professional before beginning any diet or fitness program.